Welcome everybody in the Off The Ball Network fandom and beyond to this week's episode of the Bunts and Bruises podcast. As always, coming to you guys live on Monday nights. (laughs) Yes, coming to you guys live on Monday nights as always. Myself, Jerg, with you guys. Always love being a part of this one-hour journey is the highlight of my otherwise dreary, boring, and terrible Monday. Uh, And of course... I am always joined on this show by one of the best in the sports media landscape today, the Don of baseball himself, as I always said, but a little bit different this week. He is live and on remote in Ohio, ladies and gentlemen, my guy, my man, James Barcia. James, how we doing? As, as my man LeBron James said, what's the difference between Miami and Cleveland? But, Jerk, I am doing a thousand times better. Besides the fact that I'm in Cleveland for work and it's just it's a great time, you know, it's Cleveland's fun for the whole family. That's a joke for everybody who saw a train wreck. But either way, Jerk, the fact that you're back on the intro makes it a thousand times better, because let's be honest, the fans even know it. If they want to hit in the comments or review us on Spotify, whatever it may be, and just say bars butchered it because I didn't even say the name last week, Jerk. You mentioned that I didn't say the name, and it was like a dagger in my heart. I was like, oh, the one thing. I, I was practicing it for at least three hours, too. That's the worst part. <laughs> hey, don't, don't get too hard on yourself. It is a difficult task to do. And it was your first time doing it for our show, so I think you did a bang-up job, despite the fact what you might say. But moving on to that, of course. <laughs> I could have well, said somewhat sports. Yeah, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, not in this universe. Not Different timeline, different canon. <laughs> But speaking of which, like I said, you know, you are in Cleveland, you are in Ohio. So I wish there was more Cleveland news coming out when it comes to baseball. But that doesn't mean the baseball news is completely out of the conversation today. Because, of course, leading off as always, like a clutch leadoff hitter does, we got some big baseball news from this past week. Of course, James, you're going to run through, I think what's becoming a more of a trend now as we get towards the end of May is the injuries hitting major league baseball. You know, some guys are coming back from injuries like Fernando Tatis, he returned recently, but then there are still guys getting injured, getting put on the injured, uh, injured list. So you're going to review that. But before we get to that aspect of it, James, we're going to run through what the other big news this week was. So what do you want the people to know of how this past week in major league baseball went, my man? Well, the biggest news coming out of Cleveland was I was at the corner of the progressive field and I took a picture of it. That's the biggest news coming out of Cleveland. Other than that, nothing's happening for the Cleveland baseball team. It is what it is. But it looked really nice from the outside. But baseball is it's in shambles right now. The Yankees, other than as a Mets fan, the Yankees look amazing. The Mets were in first place in the division. And it's just, it's other than that, it's been shambles. Everyone is getting hurt left and right. Christian Yellick is back. He finally hit his first hit was a home run. That's exactly what MVP candidate does. Hopefully we see more of that. But other than that, baseball is in shambles. Jerry gets more of the same. It's just nothing but injuries. Nothing but not like, I guess, defense you would call it. But it's not even defense. It's the pitchers are just all of every pitcher is Cy Young apparently this year. And we're getting no offense at all. It's just it's home run or bust. And I understand that was the goal maybe like three years ago because we weren't getting enough offense or enough home runs. But it's just it's as you hear us say every other week, jerk. it's just ruining the sport of baseball because I'll dig deeper into the injuries. But first, I want to start off with more than anything. We're going to get back to another unwritten rules conversation. This one starts with, unfortunately, it happened literally literally the moment we hit stop last week, Jerk. This whole moment broke down on Monday night, and it was the White Sox giving the whooping. I'm talking about a whooping to the Minnesota Twins. And they were being them, I believe it was 15-3, and Yerman Mercedes was up to at plate to bat. And, you know, it, he, was, uh, he was down 3-0, three balls uh, to no strikes. And that is an automatic green light. When we're talking green light, that's like you're right at the three-point line and there's not a defender near you for like at least 15 feet. It was that kind of green light. And he got the no, do not swing at it, just take the pitch, which is a common sign at 3-0. Baseball terms, especially the old school guys like Tony La Russa, who is the manager for the Chicago White Sox who your main Mercedes plays for. It's he he's a very old school guy. He is a strictly unwritten rules are all written to him. But he gave the no 
swing sign because it's almost it's it's insulting. It's almost like what happened to when the Knicks were down by a significant amount this year. And I forgot what was the team. I want to say it was the Nuggets or the Jazz when someone shot that three on them and that whole fight broke out. Jerk. Do you do you remember what team it was? I, I don't, but it definitely sounds like one of the those top Western teams. It, it, was definitely it started somewhere in the beginning of the season. I remember that, though. But either way, scumbag move. Yes. So what's more scummy than being up 15-3? And, you know, I forgot. The most important part was it was a position player more than anything that was pitching. Right. Because as I've mentioned before, when you're down in this sport, you don't waste your bullpen arms. You throw in a position player. And it was when I mentioned the Anthony Rizzo uh, – against Freddie Freeman when the Atlanta Braves were just beating Chicago Cubs regardless. When a position player is up there on the mound, that's the white flag. That's more than a white flag. That's three <laughs> white flags there. That's just saying, let's get through this. There's no time limit in this sport. I just need someone to throw a ball. <laughs> so we had a position player out there. Your man Mercedes had a 3-0 count, and he had the no swing sign just to take the ball, make it 3-1, because 3-1 is also basically a complete green light when you're a batter. 3-1, some may argue 3-1 is even more of a green light than a 3-0. I'm right. not exactly sure why. It's It has to deal with the way uh, the type of pitch you're going to get from the pitcher. Smarter people than me can explain this, but regardless, there is game strategy to it. And your main Mercedes, as he said in his post-game conference, your main's going to do your main. And he completely ignored Tony Russa's sign. And that man swung the bat as hard as he could. And he made a 15-3 blowout become a 18-3, I believe it was. I'm not even 100% sure. But regardless, it, it's just it, it blew up into something much bigger than the game. It ended up just being the whole game got scrutinized where it was Tony LaRusa and his opinions against Jermaine Mercedes and actually a majority of the White Sox. Because it's a majority of young players that make up the White Sox. And a lot of young players don't follow these unwritten rules. So a lot right. of players are saying, who cares if you're blowing a team out? You're trying to win it. So we're going to keep scoring as much as we can score. And as an athlete, I got to respect that. I'm not sure about you, Jerk, but I feel the same exact way. No matter what the score is, we saw it in the Super Bowl, one of the most important games of all. The, Haw the Falcons were down 28-7, and the Patriots came back. No one in their right mind would have been on that game for the Patriots to come back. But right. here they did. So as a White Sox player up 15-3, taking zero chances. I'm swinging at that 47-mile-per-hour meatball right down the middle, which is exactly what your main did because your main does your main. But Tony Russo, very upset, and I completely understand because when you have a rookie, out of all people, it's not even a veteran. You have a rookie out there ignoring the signs of the manager, and he just goes for the swing completely get where that can create some conflict. The one thing I don't like that Tony Russo did is he aired he aired that rookie out for all of the media and all of the public to see. Right. I felt like that's something that should have been done more behind closed doors because when it comes to any conflicts, sports, work-related, anything, it's behind closed doors is the best policy because you keep it within the family. It doesn't matter. You know, if mom and dad are fighting at the dinner table, you're not going to go to school and tell your best friend that mom and dad are fighting at the dinner table. Right. So it, it's it's kind of getting ugly. And it was kind of the number one reason why a lot of people said Jerry Reinsdorf was the only person who was going to sign Tony LaRusso because Tony LaRusso coached this team 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever it may be. And the Chicago owner was going to be the only guy to re-sign him because of these un like he's very this is the epitome of old school jerk and to have such a young emphasis team, on old uh, <laughs> emphasis on old because you texted me earlier this man could keel over at any moment he could have killed over when given that sign and it would be what do I do but regardless it's it's kind of a conflict of worlds because you got this really old guy and this really young team but he's also one of the greatest coaches. And that's like saying you don't want Bill Belichick to coach the Washington uh, football team. They're the youngest football team in the league and they got the best defense. So, you know, it right. doesn't make sense because it's just, it makes sense if they did work out together. Irregardless, I don't agree with how Tony LaRusso aired out the kid. If you really want the rookie to learn from ignoring your sign, you let him get back up to bat. And due to these unwritten rules that we don't like, 
kid's going to see a 95 mile per hour right to the rib, right to the butt, right in the hip somewhere. He's going to get rocked. So that's why I don't agree with what Tony Russo did, but I also don't agree with what your main Mercedes did. So it's a little awkward space to be in as a fan. So you take your side. However, I tend to agree more with the manager because if you start having this conflict, eh, I mean, at the end of the day, though, if these athletes don't get their numbers up, especially in baseball more than anything, as analytical it is, it comes back to arbitration, which is when it comes to contract time. So actually, now that I just convinced myself of that, <laughs> <laughs> I got to lean more with the players than Tony Russo because honestly, it's Tony Russo didn't do the wrong thing in punishing the kid, but he did the wrong thing in airing it out into the public the way he did it. Yeah, he publicly criticized and chastised him and ultimately said that the you know, he felt bad for the other team, essentially, and that they they would talk about it, they would handle it, which is the stupidest possible thing when you reach the peak of, you know, competition, it, which is what the professional sports league are. In any sport at, at those levels, that's what the pro leagues are, the MLB, the NHL, like that is the peak of it. You need to go at your opponents on a nightly basis, and you cannot show even for a single moment publicly that there may be a disagreement because people such as us and other media entities are going to grab onto that and make it a bigger story than what it may need to be. And do the players in the White Sox dugout overall, do they have an issue with what La Russa did? Probably not. You know, you alluded to it, James. They've been successful this season. They, if I'm not mistaken, they are currently leading their division and have one of the best records in baseball right now. Like, so clearly something is going right there. But I just despise the fact that Tony La Russa had to go against his guy. And I still like I I can kind of understand what you're talking about and you're, where you're coming from, that he's a rookie and he went against La Russa. And I just think the thing is, is that I don't think him being a rookie made the difference. I think it was just the fact that A, he didn't listen and B is just one of these things where the kid ignores the sign. He's like, I'm up 3-0 in the count. I'm just going to swing if I see a pitch that I like older guys don't like that they like the whole okay try to get ball four and you said three three nothing three one those are hitters counts those are green light counts like you just swing honestly like i've always said it just swing and see what happens because who knows what you'll get and if you get that perfect hit like you said add to the stat sheet add for himself maybe give him some leverage and arbitration help him earn more like just all those things the fact that larusa like i'm honestly surprised because you mentioned like you know discipline how it could have happened. I'm shocked Larusa didn't go to the to the Twins dugout and like, hey, just just throw a ball at at, at him. Uh, just, yeah, just, just just toss him. You know, hit hit him. You know, you you could do that. I wouldn't have a problem with it because you might as well have done that with what you said. And again, I, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of this, but I just think it was so dumb. It was so stupid. The Larusa hire was questionable from the very beginning because, like you said, it's a very young team, a very energetic team, new style, new school, new attitude. And you have this, I'm sorry, fossil, essentially, from baseball's past to coach him. And look, I understand, I can understand to a point what you're talking about with Bellet, like comparing it to Belichick and if he coached Washington. But I think the thing is, Belichick has learned and he has adapted with how the NFL has gone over the years. Now, granted, maybe did he not make that choice in drafting a quarterback this year? Of course, he went for drop back passer. But in terms of other things, like understanding the uh, how important a tight end is understanding how important special teams has been way before anyone else has in the NFL. Like Belichick understood, learned and evolved. I, can we say Larusa has technically done that? Like, I know we love pointing at winning and championships. And when it comes to like coaches and managers, we, once they have at least a ring or two on their resume, we tend to, you know, just assume that they always know what they're doing. And that, that I don't give that credence to a lot of these guys you have to be on that Belichick level. And Larusa, I know he's great, but he's not on that level for me to just automatically think that. And again, like this is an important thing. This is something so small, and I hate that we're talking about it because like what we should talk be talking about is the fact that the White Sox, for the first time since they won the World Series, it feels like, have a legit team, right? So this is just a needless thing to happen. Again, I I don't want to think that this will have any adverse effects in the clubhouse, but Here's the thing. It could, in my mind, James, this could become a snowball effect if the team starts losing. Like, could you imagine if he had made this comment and they went on like a five game losing streak? How surly would some of the guys in that clubhouse be if that had been the case, you know? So at the end of the day, I think if you're Larusa, I, I can understand that maybe you want, if you want your guys to listen to you, like I think they've been doing that. You wouldn't be in this position if they wouldn't to, uh, if they were not to an extent, at least. So 
I don't know. I just think like, don't sweat the small, stupid stuff. Like we've said this the entire time. The unwritten rules are stupid. <laughs> They're just stupid. I can't break it down. It's not more complex and yet it can't be broken down any more simply. They're stupid. So just let your guys play. If you maybe want to instill more discipline and stuff like that, maybe just have a conversation with him. Just do that. I wouldn't have an issue with it. And even if that got leaked, at least it'd be handled internally, right? But the fact that he called uh, he called his own guy out, let's call it what it is. He called his own guy out to the media after, that didn't sit right with me. But hey, like kind of like we mentioned, Larus is going to he's going to do what he wants cuz he's a, he he don't care at this point. <laughs> he does not care. See, the only issue I have with this where it may create a, an issue in the clubhouse is Lance Lynn actually himself tweeted that if a position player is on the mound, there are no rules. Let's get the right. damn game over with. So you got another veteran in the clubhouse actually saying this, which may create an issue. But the where I agree with Mercedes swinging is he's a 28-year-old rookie. We're talking 28 in any other sport, Jerk. This is somebody prime. So he's coming in as a rookie. This is he. This is his one and only chance to make money because this is actually. Have you ever heard your your main Mercedes before this year? Because I know I haven't heard about him before this year, and he came out blazing this year. He's hitting three forty seven with six home runs and twenty five RBIs, and that's that he never plays whenever they're playing against a National League team because you can't get the DH position in the National League, and the White Sox are an AL club, so you know the White Sox. They plug them in whenever they're playing against an AL team. But if they're playing inter-league uh, inter game, your man is off the uh, out of the complete lineup, which created an issue, actually, for some fantasy players because a lot of people dropped him in the beginning of the season, and you all messed up because I grabbed him in one league, so that's why I'm making fun of you. You all messed up. But regardless, Jerk, <laughs> let's get into the meat and potatoes of what's wrong with baseball right now. Corey Kluber... Later in the week after our last episode, had another no-hitter. Good for him. I'm not trying to take anything away from Corey Kluber. But there was also, like, three other notifications, Jerg, that I texted you. Like, that's it. I'm over this. Like, look at that. It was people (laughs) I'm not even going to Google and look up their name that had no-hitters this week. And it's just what is going on, which proves more to the analytics. It proves more to everything we've ever talked about, the stick them on the neck, the analytics, spin rate, everything we ever mentioned, Jerk. And it's just defense, not defense, but the pitching is ruining baseball. So we need more offense. We need less home runs. We need singles, doubles, steals. Just swing at some ba- at some balls and make a defensive player play. And due to the fact of all, all of the ties of Jerk, it's crazy. It's like a conspiracy theory because due to the fact of all these analytics, all these offensive players just want to get beefy and medium bulky just straight muscles and that's what's causing the most injuries i've ever seen ever in the league at first i thought it had to be covid related due to the fact that spring training might have been short but no it is very clear that it has to do with these batters are just getting bigger to try and hit the ball out the park and these pitchers are just every pitcher throws over 100 miles per hour jerk Five years ago, if you saw a 95-mile-per-hour slider, I remember Noah Syndergaard was throwing 95-mile-per-hour sliders, and it was the most insane thing anyone's ever seen. Now people are throwing 98-mile-per-hour sliders like nothing, which is why you're actually seeing the most hit batters ever in the league year as well, which is why I ended up with Kevin Pillar getting hit in the face, Bryce Harper getting hit in the face. Uh, who was it that got hit before Bryce Harper? D.D. Gregorius getting hit. It's the you're throwing the pitchers are throwing the ball so hard they have zero command so they can't control whether none of these pitchers are trying to hit these batters so right. not only are, do we have pitchers creating injuries by hitting batters we have all these bulky just like they have no neck it's just straight their shoulder to their ear jerk it's the most insane thing I've seen which it's is like power they're all literally power. and that's the complete opposite of what baseball used to be. Because baseball used to focus on pliability and you used to have guys who would chug like a six pack right before a game and then end up having almost a perfect game. And it's just it's the most insane thing. It's almost it's backwards and they need to work on it's they need to do more yoga or something. They just need to stop hitting the weight room because that's honestly it's the biggest issue in all the sports aside from football. 
because basketball is almost the same thing as you got guys like Zion who can't even play a full game because he's just weighing so much because he wants to do nothing but yam the ball. I don't know where in the world. I guess it might have been the steroid era and it, they just inspired it to the next state step. But it's just I don't know where we went wrong in sports where being a not average, but like, you know, a in fit person, not not bulky, just in shape and healthy athlete was one of the worst things you could do. It <laughs> just doesn't make sense. It, it, it's very interesting. I, I think we've spoken about this. This is why I love it when we talk about baseball, because we are bringing to light the fact that in baseball now, more than ever, it's evolving right in front of our eyes. And I think a lot of people are ignoring that, James. Like we, we've mentioned it a few times here, the evolution and not just the trend of the home runs the last few years. Like part of that is slowly when you look at other levels, Teams are relying on the long ball. So funny enough, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but actually just a couple weeks ago, I actually commentated a college baseball game at the division two level. And the final score of that game, it was like, it was like, I think 15, 14 or 14, 13, one or the other. Right. And the team that lost most of their offense, like I think of the 13, 14 runs they brought in almost, most of it was off of five home runs. Right. Like, like it's all, it's all about the long ball now, even at the collegiate level. And when you consider that now you look at what happens in the professional ranks, when you think of teams that have done well in recent regular seasons, but then have flamed out the Yankees and the twins, those are teams that rely mm-hmm. on the home run ball heavy. Like the twins are not that great this season because they haven't been hitting homers throughout the lineup. The Yankees struggled at the start of this season because they're not connecting on enough home runs. Like they have guys with bad batting averages, but a bad batting average looks a lot better when that home run number's up. But when that number is down and you still can't hit over 250 for your life, that just it, it uh, puts a microscope on who you really are and how your game has really been doing. So I think the combination of that, like you said, it's all go big or go home, literally. And a lot of these guys are not going home in terms of homers. They're going home in terms of backs of the dugout because they're getting struck out. Cause like you said, again, this is another evolution that has uh, changed the math on all this. You, you were talking about guys are throwing 100 now more than ever. Some of these guys are coming out the bullpen. Like James, even 10 years ago, you maybe at best had one guy out of the bullpen who could throw 95 plus. Now it feels like every team, you got to have at least three, right? And there's got to be someone in the minors where it's like, if you want to rest your guys, you bring a guy up. He's got to be able to at least throw a good 91, 92, something like that. Like the, the differences in the game have caused this. And we had this conversation a few weeks ago is the no hitter being devalued. And I think we both said like, you know, we don't think so. Cause it's still impressive such and such, but man, it's getting really hard to like sit, to stay on that side it's really getting hard to be on that. And I never thought I would, you know, change my thought process even for a second. But some of these no hitters, like, I don't even remember half of them this season. I don't. I all do respect because it's not big names doing it. Like, Kluber was good at one point, but he hasn't been the same pitcher for the last, like, what, one or two seasons? Even though, didn't we have just a no hitter two weeks ago? Like, we, we had a no hitter about two weeks ago or so from a Baltimore player. <laughs> An Orioles. Five days ago, maybe. <laughs> yeah. and, James, an Orioles player threw a no-hitter. That's how down bad everything is, that an Orioles player actually had that much success this season. Probably going to be the highlight of the season for them, if we're being honest. So at the end of the day, baseball has to – I feel like we've been saying that a lot, especially for both our sports recently. But baseball needs to just, just figure out a way to change this because, like you said, like home runs are nice, right? They, they are eye-catching. They're nice for social media, which – it's weird to say that because baseball, social media, the MLB kind of struggles here and there with it. So uh, just all in all, you know, I, I hate to say this, but the, the no hitter, it kind of feels like it's kind of feels like it's boring now. I hate to say it, but it kind of feels like it's boring. I mean, uh, how could it not be boring, Jerk? It's just it's popping up so many times. Like, you know, it it took off the complete shine of it when it, it's popping up so many times. It went from a diamond to cubic zirconia like you want to say for like our second episode ever jerk zirconium (laughs) zirconium you knew exactly where i was going for but regardless it it took off the shine of it like it has zero value now due to the fact that nobody's are having no hitters and it's the craziest thing is two years ago 
the league juiced the ball where there was too many home runs. Right. So maybe they loosened up the knitting inside the ball or something where now it's just nothing but strikeouts. But they, they need to find that perfect middle, and they need to, like we said for the last eight episodes, Jerk, they need to get rid of the shit. But I'm not going to keep talking to our fans' ears off about this. Right. Jerk, some more important stuff happened this week, especially this weekend. Not only was it NBA playoffs, which everybody else on our network covers, but let's do that hockey, Jerk. Oh, absolutely, James. Absolutely. And like our guy, our guest from last week, Kenneth, is making note of, can someone tell the Leafs and the Canadians to start scoring some goals? I hope this somehow reaches, you know, I'm convinced, James, that there, there's a professional athlete somewhere that listens to our podcast. They don't need to admit it. You know, we we, we know you listen and we appreciate the listen. Uh, delusions aside, the NHL playoffs really, you know, it, it started before the NBA playoffs is kept going. And round one is progressing a, a quite a bit quicker than most realize, myself included, as we already have two series in wrapped up and in the books for the first round of the NHL so far. So, James, we are actually, because, you know, he mentioned it, uh, we're going to start with the North Division. The Right now, the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs are in game three of the series. The series is tied one-to-one at the moment. And like me and Kenneth noted last week, James, and I, I think you kind of picked up on this from all the conversation we had about it, I think for the casual fans out there that listen to us, what I hope came out last week was the fact that goalie is very important in hockey, right? And Carey Price has made the world of a difference for Montreal in this series. And he literally won game one for them because you saw an off night for him in game two ends up in a 5-1 victory for the to, Toronto Maple Leafs. That was an off night for him. But when he was on, I think it was at least north of 34, 35 saves in that game to give a victory at the end of the day for Montreal that gave them that opening game win. Now, right now, as Kenneth alluded to these two teams, not exactly set, uh, setting the world on fire at this moment, currently just one, nothing Toronto about halfway through the second period. Funny enough, there's every single game at the moment as we are recording, this is just a one goal difference right now. So, Hey, exciting playoff games. You know, that you guys should definitely watch after this. Uh, but that is how that series is going in the North division. As we expected, if the offense gets going for Toronto, they're going to be a juggernaut. Montreal, they just have to hope that Carey Price continues to just stand on his head on a night-by-night basis. Jerg, if I may, mm-hmm. do you think Toronto's offense is going to, like, uh, for the casual fans that don't know, uh, Jonathan Tavares, he had a huge head injury mm-hmm. this past Thursday. Yes. Uh, do you think that's going to affect the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs offense in any way? Because uh, from what I'm reading, he might be out anywhere from two weeks and even more, perhaps. Right, right. And very scary situation. Glad to thankful that he is OK. Thankful that it's not serious, as always. You know, we always hope that these guys, when something happens, that they get healthy as quickly as they can. I don't think it's going to affect them for Montreal because I still think overall there's enough there for Toronto to just handle them. If it takes an extra game, so be it. I think the worries potentially get going against Winnipeg in the second round. And so let me just kind of mention it. The Winnipeg Jets are up 3-0 on the Edmonton Oilers in their series after Edmonton chokes, I believe it was a 4-1 lead against the uh, Winnipeg in Game 3. The Jets tie it up with three goals in the third and then win it in overtime. Uh, I'm officially done with the Edmonton Oilers for future seasons. I do not, unless they get a goalie and some defense, I do not care about this team in the playoffs anymore. Cause at the end of the day, they like, you have two of the best players in the game, man. How do you choke that lead? How, how does your, you have one job, literally. Yeah. 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 Just had one job and you couldn't do it. Like, ah, uh, it, it's so disappointing, but back, back to your question, James, I apologize with Tavares being out. It'll hurt as they go deeper in the playoffs because you're going to need the depth and the weapons to potentially have to go against Winnipeg. Now, Toronto has had Winnipeg's number throughout the entire season. But as Kenneth talked about last week, and we're going to reference last week a lot because that's where if you want in-depth breakdown for every series, then you got to make sure you check out last week's episode, like James mentioned before, Spotify, YouTube, Anchor, wherever you could get it. To, to hear the full breakdown for each series, right? But just in general, what we spoke about, especially in the North, who was going to get the better in these matchups game by game? Is the offense going to be able to do enough or will the defense and especially the goaltending play up to the level? And when you look at the series right now, potentially if Toronto comes away with the win tonight, it's going to be because the offense just does enough, which they did more than enough in game two. And the case with Winnipeg, 
two games to start the series, completely shut down the Oilers' offense, right? McDavid and Dreisaitl, I they had zero points in game one, and I think it was around the same thing in game two. So you have that. And then game three, where they finally get going, where that team is finally firing a little bit, you're able to match them. And when you're a team that maybe your offense isn't as explosive as like a Toronto, you just need one or two games in the series where you can match them offensively. And uh, Winnipeg did exactly that against Edmonton. And they could potentially do that if they continue this hot streak going up against Toronto. So that is where the John Tavares injury kind of worries me uh, from the Maple Leafs perspective. It is from the idea that, okay, you're, you are definitely better than Montreal. But then when go, when you're going against Connor Hellybuck, if he continues to play at such a high level and that uh, team just has one or two games of great offense, they could steal that series. And we could actually see Winnipeg in the final four for the first time since, I think, 2018 was when they made it to the conference finals last time. So not, not a lot of years in between, but especially this season, myself included, I didn't have a lot of high hopes for the Jets going in because of uh, certain factors on that squad. Uh, but they have more than exceeded the expectations, especially as they're seemingly going to get rid of Edmonton. Game four is actually tonight. It'll start just a little bit after we end our show here live. So like I said, some good games going on right now, some good games coming tonight. And yeah, duh, I definitely can't wait for that. For sure, Jerg. And we got to talk about, it. you know, we got to talk about my Las Vegas Golden Knights. My question for you, Jerry, is what have they been doing so great? Has it been uh, Flurry's go play? Has it been their offense? What have they done right that they corrected from game one where Minnesota ended up stealing that one game from them that kind of called correctly? I'm still calling collusion, but regardless, <laughs> my Las Vegas Golden Knights have figured it out, and now they lead the series, I believe, 3-1. You can hold it against yep. me if I'm wrong, but nope, 3-1, yes. And with a chance to finish it tonight, as game five is tonight. Uh, so the thing with Vegas, it's kind of a little bit of both. But if I have to give credence to one over the other, it has to be the offense. So a 3-1 win in game two after that heartbreaking game one loss. And then they hang five uh, five goals on Minnesota in game three. And then four more goals in an absolute 4 nothing shutout in game four. Or again, one of the reason why I say it's a little bit of both because uh, in that game uh, four shutout, Marc-Andre Fleury, 35 saves, right? So I can't completely discount the job that he has done in that. He has been absolutely phenomenal throughout the entirety of the first four games. Again, if he just gets an extra one goal, because that game went to overtime, if he just gets one goal in regulation, Vegas would already be done. They actually would have been the first series to end. All it needed was just one more goal for that to happen. So Fleury has been on an absolute different level. He is definitely, if you if you want to point to a reason why they're up, it's mainly him. But when you want to talk about the reason why they've rebounded, now that's a different argument. When you talk about why they've rebounded, it's because the offense has finally gotten everything together. Where, And I alluded to this because of why, why they got eliminated last year. Vegas can overpower you, right? They have a chance to overpower you. And they have great offensive talent. They just need to get everything going. Like this Vegas team, I don't want to call it unearned confidence because they are a good team. But it, last season, you kind of got the feeling in the conference finals that they felt that it was their right to make it back to the Stanley Cup finals. And they learned very quickly, you don't just get that right. It's not a uh, it's not a, a given thing. You have to earn it. And I think they took their lumps last season. The internet was very critical. You know, hockey social media was very critical of them uh, dating back to that conference finals loss to Dallas last season. This will be more so tested in the later rounds, especially in round two, where Vegas wraps it up tonight. So let's just go to the other series. The Colorado Avalanche swept the St. Louis Blues in uh, in the first round. Colorado was absolutely dynamic in round one. The, the lowest goals they scored in a game was four in game one. So they only got better. They scored, they had 12 power play attempts in the series against St. Louis and they scored six times. So right now their power play is at a 50% clip, which means when they get the man advantage, it's 50-50 on if they're going to score or not at this point. Now, will that stay throughout the entirety of the playoffs? I doubt it, but they're so talented. Like they, they may be able to keep it up for like another few games or so. And if you're Vegas with this hot streak on offense, you need to have that going into the series against Colorado because as I've spoken about, James, you can, in any other year, this could have been the Western Conference Finals and we're going to get it in round two for uh, with Vegas and the Avs. And my thing with this one is you have Marc-Andre Fleury who's playing great. You have Philip Grubauer who 
came in a little bit dinged up in the playoffs, but still played well enough, uh, did enough. I think he only had one game where he allowed two goals or more, if I'm not mistaken. Fact check me if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I, from memory, I don't think, I think he only had the one game with two goals or more allowed in that series. He's been doing it absolutely phenomenal. And now this rest before round two begins is only going to help him because now you're going to get two of the best goalies from the season going at it. And the ultimate difference maker is going to be which offense can solve the other team's goalie more. So if you're Vegas, the thing that you want to see happen is happening. You're scoring against Minnesota, you're overpowering them, and you need to continue that out of everything. You need to continue that because you can rely on flurry to hold Colorado to two, but now your offense needs to solve that defense, that blue line and Philip Grubauer. And if you can do that, there's a chance that Vegas, I mentioned Winnipeg returning to the final four. There's a chance that Vegas can return to the final four. And it would be the third time in their first four seasons as an organization that they would make it uh, to the uh, final four to finish off a, a playoffs. So I say, I say final four technically because it's not the conference finals this season, but you know, uh, Stanley cup final appearance year one conference finals appearance in year three, they have a chance to do that uh, again this season and maybe go for it all. But again, how are they going to do that? Support Marc-Andre Fleury. It's as simple as that. Just because I know all the fans are wondering, I did fact check you, Jurgen. You were 100% correct. It was two goals. He kept them two. And it's just, let's let's go Knights. See, Jurg, I knew I made the right decision when I was just looking at the Devils, and I was just like, listen, guys, you <laughs> you, you got something going here. It's just it's, it's not all together. I'm, I'm going to make the move over here to Vegas. They know what they're doing. So. <laughs> It's looking like it it's paying off. Hopefully tonight it pays off and I see them move on to round two. But we need to talk about real quick, game three. Uh we already mentioned these teams. It just ended up tied right now in the second quarter. Maple Leafs Canadians are tied up at one one. Maple Leafs had the lead. Now it's a tied game. But we need to talk about the other game going on right now, and that is the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. Tampa Bay is up right now 3-1. They're currently up in the first period 1-0. Is there anything the Panthers could do to try and pull this game off, Jerg? Or it's basically they're already planning on going to Pebble Beach right now and working on their golf swing. Uh, Cancun on three. One, two, three, Cancun. Cancun! The, the Florida Panthers. <laughs> oh, man. Just, you need to solve Andre Vasilevsky if you're t- this team. And it, they can do it, and they've proven that they're able to do it, but Man, Tampa Bay has just been on a different level this season. And and the good old tactic of try try to hurt the other team at the end of a game because the Panthers, I'm going to say this straight up, they, they pulled some wuss stuff at the end of game four it was where they lost that game. They got absolutely blown, the doors blown off of them. And then they take shots. Hedman and Kucherov both had to leave in the third period. Uh, both of them are playing right now in this game. Neither have contributed a point at, at this juncture of this, uh, of this game. But the two of them have obviously done their job. Kutrov, I think, nine or ten points in the first four games of the series. He has been absolutely unreal. And again, as we alluded to last week, there's a reason why people are complaining that he's allowed back in the playoffs. Because you see what he can do, how he can just destroy your team. And you mentioned what Florida can do. Unless they become faster, like right now, for the rest of the series, they're not going to be able to beat Tampa Bay. Because Tampa Bay is just miles ahead of them in terms of pure offensive skill and talent miles ahead of them in speed and as we have seen miles ahead of them in net because game one Sergei Bobrovsky let it go game two they went to Drieger their backup and the Tampa was able to beat him they scored three goals on him on his birthday poor guy and then game three they went back to Bobrovsky and I think it was three goals on the first six or seven shots he faced or something like that it has just been not good for Florida to note actually they're actually starting their rookie goalie Spencer Knight here in game five and he's all he, he he's allowed one goal so far, but he's made 11 saves. He's actually compared to his uh, the two veterans in front of him. He's actually playing pretty good <laughs> against the defending Stanley Cup champions in his playoff debut two months ago. James, like two, two and a half months ago, he was still playing college hockey. And now he is playing the biggest game of the Panther season at this moment. And the kid, as of now, it looks like he's stepping up to the challenge, which you got to be a fan of if you're Florida. But at the end of the day, unless things just take a complete 180, that your offense is able to match Tampa Bay's and you just make Vasilevsky's life a living hell, there's no chance that the Panthers come back in this series. Tampa Bay is just too good. They're too experienced. They've suffered heartbreak. They've suffered success. They've done it all. And for all intents and purposes, again, this is just right now. Let me clarify this. This is just right now. But what I'm seeing at this moment, 
there is nothing that makes me think the Panthers can come back and win this game unless Spencer Knight stands on his head for three straight games. And hey, young goalies have stepped up before. Patrick Waugh as a rookie won the Stanley Cup for the Montreal Canadiens. So anything can happen. I'm not putting that expectation on this kid. I'm just saying rookie goalies have stepped up before. Jordan Bennington in recent years as well. So anything can happen, but you're telling me to bet against the defending cup champions uh, with all, all the momentum in the world right now. I can't do that. And I think Mo would kind of be upset with me if I went against Tampa Bay. So I can't do that to him. I love Mo, Mo's our guy here at off the ball network. So I'm going, I'm going with Tampa Bay. They were my pick to win this series easily before. And I'm seeing nothing that should make me change that thought process. So are you telling me jerk that Florida in game three, when they won, they might've caught lightning in a bottle. Ha <laughs> That was a good uh, <laughs> All right, but regardless, what do you think about that? <laughs> I game had two, that in the back way? pocket for a good minute. When you think about that game too, by the way, six five <laughs> in overtime, where Florida had to score the two goals in the third. Like, if Vasilevsky just has a better third period, that game is over. Like, this could have been a sweep. It's wild to say, like, this could have been a sweep. We're gonna get to another series or two here very soon that could have been a sweep. But just talking about this, like. Florida, I think, should kind of be lucky the fact that they're even at this point. Because straight up, they they should they should count their lucky stars that they're in this series. Because Tampa, honestly, I we me and Kenneth noted this last week. Tampa can go off for seven, eight goals. That's not a joke. They've done that. They did that last season in the playoffs. They've scored eight goals in a playoff game before. I think Florida, look, best season in franchise history, but you're just not there yet. You're just not. And hey, it's okay. It's the defending cup champions that got their MVP back. Not a lot of teams would be able to beat them, especially round one. So that's that. That's just the breaks for Florida. But our guy Kenneth is noting here, Montreal and Toronto is starting to listen a little bit, James. <laughs> yeah, you know who's not listening, Jerry? You mentioned about whole 180 that the Lightning have done ever since they got their MVP back. Let's talk about the 180 that the Predators have done because they lost the first two games, 5-2 to the Hurricanes, 3-0 to the Hurricanes. It almost looked like this was going to be a sweep because the Hurricanes are number one seed going in. But out of nowhere, the Predators just come out in a double overtime win, 5-4 over the Hurricanes, another double overtime win, 4-3 over the Hurricanes. The series is tied up 2-2, Jerg, and it starts tomorrow at 8 p.m. What should the people expect? Because after two double overtimes, I don't even know what to expect. Well, definitely expect these guys are very happy that they are getting a, a little bit of respite uh, between those back-to-back double overtime games, man. Uh, so first off, why has the series completely flipped on itself? And I'm going to give you the simplest reason. And it's two words that is scaring every single Hurricanes fan right now. UC Soros has been an absolute beast for the Predators. Two words, UC Soros. Like, he, <laughs> he has just been next level. Again, me and Kenneth noted it last week. Why were the Predators going to have any chance in this series to begin with? It's because their defense and their goaltending has played extremely well. The last, I forget the exact number of games. It was like the last 23 or 24 games of the regular season. Soros nearly had a 95% save percentage overall to help Nashville get to this point, right? To get to uh, the playoffs. And now in back-to-back games, we look at game three where Alex Nedeljkovic for the Hurricanes. He played really well. We were actually mentioning Carolina's goalie situation. Nedeljkovic has done really well for the team. 49 saves in game three and 39 saves in game four. Honestly, that should have been enough. And that in and of itself you think is impressive. But then you look at what Soros did in game three. He faced 56 shots, James, and he made 52 saves. And that was just enough for his team to step up for him and get the victory there and then in the next double overtime i i almost want to call it a classic to an extent because again back-to-back overtime games it's absolutely back-to-back double overtime games it's electric sorrows face unheard of yeah he sorrows faced 61 shots in game four and he stopped 58 this dude has 110 saves in his last two games he is absolutely on another level at this moment and if carolina and here's the scary part if you're carolina He's doing this, and you're still getting offense. That means that your defense is now failing you. And again, I don't want to put it all on Nedeljkovic because in in a vacuum, he's playing really well. Like I just said, Soros blows him out the water technically in the save department, but he made 49 saves. Like he, him and Soros went save for save 
just the Predators got that next uh, goal, ultimately, on a night where Nedeljkovic faced a lot of pressure. You can kind of give him a pass in Game 3 because I think the, the Predators had seven power plays. That's not on Nedeljkovic. That's on his teammates for taking seven penalties and giving Nashville seven attempts on the power play. So that's not on the kid at all there. Game th- uh, Game 4, you would have loved a comeback effort from him a little better. Again, four goals. It's like, a do you take it or leave it? But at this point in the series, you can't leave it for chances. So ultimately, if you're Carolina, I'll be interested to see if they start Mirajic in game five, uh, if they end up making a goalie change. It, it, I'm kind of 50-50 on the fence because Nedeljkovic has played well, but also he's let up some of the goals. But at the same time, his team is didn't do him favors in game three. It's, it's also complicated. But what can you expect is the brick wall called UC Soros to continue to try to play the best he can because, man, if this is, these are shades... Uh, this is shades, excuse me, of when the Predators made it to the Stanley Cup Finals years back. I think it was 2017, if I'm not mistaken, where Pekka Rene, their now backup, he was their starter in that run. He was the starter for a long time in Nashville. He was a brick wall that year. So it's all it's all going to be about can Carolina solve him? It's can Carolina solve Soros? Because if they do, they'll be able to put more pressure on them and maybe the offense won't be as free-flowing, which their Predators offense does deserve some credit. Again, five goals, then four goals. That's impressive. But it's all on Soros right now. He is the reason why the series is tied 2-2. There's no questions about it. Well, there was a series that was tied 2-2. Not even. It wasn't even ever tied 2-2. It was tied at 1-1. And then after that, Boston just ran away with it. Before we jump into the we're we're in the east coast now the east division before we jump into last game where let's talk about the series that did just ended recently and that's with boston winning taking the series 4-1 over the capitals my first question for you hockey guru hockey wizard is where do the capitals go from here because from what i've gotten throughout all our episodes is they're they're one of those teams who it was championship or bust because they're not on the young side of things so where do the capitals go from here jerk this will be one of the most interesting off-seasons in Capitals history in quite some time. Uh, for one, Alexander Ovechkin's contract is up with the team. A contract he signed way back in the day. I think it was like a 12-year, $108 million deal or something like that. Maybe the numbers are a little bit off, but it was something in that ballpark that he signed way back when with the Washington Capitals. They don't they don't have hockey contracts like that anymore. I kind of wish they did, but at the same time, I don't. <laughs> but yeah, so where do they go? So number one goal is to re-sign Ovechkin, right? Now, I think the number two, it's kind of tied. What are they going to do with Evgeny Kuznetsov? And what are they going to do about the goalie situation, right? Yeah, 13, 13 years, 124 million for Ovi, actually. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. Um <laughs> You were uh, supposed to keep it incognito, Jerg. I was trying to make you look like, oh, it just came to me. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I am I am willing. I am willing. I'm willing to admit my faults, unlike Tom Wilson in the Washington Capitals. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, I had to take my puck shot. Puck don't lie. That's why they lost. Puck don't lie, Jerg. Yes, puck don't lie. You should have been suspended, you bum. Get out. So, uh, but no, in all seriousness, this will be a tumultuous offseason because aside from re-signing Ovi, what are they going to do with Kuznetsov? He's a, he's a talented player, James, but he's kind of, this season he hasn't played up to the level he should have. And he's had a couple issues with the team. I think him and Samsonov, just before the playoffs started, they broke COVID protocol. The most important time of the year, and you do that. And that's why I was about to say, it's tied for Kuznetsov. And what are you going to do in that? Because I had high expectations. There were two young goalies going into the season that I, I personally had high expectations of. And it was Ilya Samsonov of the Capitals, and it was Carter Hart of the Philadelphia Flyers. And despite the fact that this should be telling, James, despite the fact that Samsonov had a better season than Carter Hart, I still have more hopes now for Carter Hart's future than I do Samsonov's future. Because ultimately, I think Samsonov kind of dropped the ball this season. While he had some good games, I think at the very beginning with the whole COVID thing, having this situation late, you can't do this to your team with the Stanley Cup playoffs right there. And he really let them hang out to dry. And that ultimately made the difference because, and he tried his best throughout the series, Vanacek did. You got to give the kid credit. But he, well, excuse me, he would have tried his best, but he goes down early. Craig Anderson comes in, he, he gets the game one miracle, and it doesn't follow suit from there at all because the Capitals just do what, uh, excuse me, the Bruins just do what they want. The first three games, funny enough for the series, because we mentioned some overtimes, the first three games of this series all went to overtime before game four and game five had a little bit less drama attached to it. 
and with it being a 4-1 victory for the Boston Bruins in game four and then 3-1 victory in game five. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's why we talk about in net. And Samsonov, while he returned and while he did his best, the Boston defense just completely overmatched and overpowered. Rask only faced 20 shots in that game four victory. And I think in game five, it was a few more shots, if I'm not mistaken. Well, way more shots, actually. He faced 41 shots. But that was the game where Rask showed up, right? Like, that was the game where they needed him to, to step up, and he did. And then when you look at the other side of things for Washington, Samsonov, he just didn't have that game. He only faced 19 shots and allowed three goals. So he him not being able to step up, the Cattles not getting anything in that. And the Bruins were a lot more aggressive. Like, as you saw that series go, like, Ovechkin, I forget which game it was, James. I think I sent you the highlight. In game three or game four, he kind of, like, took back-to-back, like, checks from some uh, Bruins players where it was, I think it was Marchand and DeBrusque that, like, just hit him on back-to-back in, within the span of just a couple of seconds. And that that kind of told the story after game one where despite the fact that the Capitals can get physical, they just did not match up to Boston, who, funny enough, I've mentioned this before, Boston can out-physical you if they see that opportunity. And if they do, they're kind of like your Golden Knights, James, where – they can out-physical you. They can overpower you. And offensively, they have the, the punches now because Pasternak is great. Marchand's been good for however many years now. You have the steadiness and great two-way play of Patrice Bergeron. Charlie McAvoy is a good offensively-based defenseman from the blue line. And Taylor Hall has been great since uh, the trade deadline. Did he maybe have the series you expected early on? No. He definitely looked a lot better. Maybe it didn't show up in the stat sheet, but he just – it was more comfortable for him as the series went on. And I think for Boston, the fact that you got Washington out the way, and as of this moment, the final series we're going to talk about looks like it could go to seven. This is prime opportunity here for the Boston Bruins to get some rest and be ready for the next round where they could find themselves in the final four. And at one point where it seemed like they were going to be a first round exit, they've completely turned things around and you got to give them all the credit. A hundred percent. And speaking of, the last game we're going to talk about, you led us right into it during the third period, literally just started exactly 26 seconds ago. The Penguins are up 2-1 to the New York Islanders. What can the Islanders do, Jerk, to try and win this game? Because, it, you know, it, it it's always going to have a New York team in the playoffs as deep as they go. You can ask any Knicks fan in our OTBN group chat, and they will tell you about how great it is to have a New York team in the playoffs. So what can the Islanders do right now? As we're looking right now, they got only one scored goal and the Penguins got the two. They got plenty of assists here. I tried breaking down this box score jerk, but I'm I'm not even going to try anymore. It's way too many zeros and ones here. Regardless, you got Josh Bailey here with the only assist and Anthony B with the only goal for the <laughs> Islanders. I was really, I was really wondering if you were going to take a stab at that name. I got you, Jerry. Really, ready, ready, Anthony Bovillier. You're very Beauvilliard. close, Bovillier. Ah, I was close. Either way, he's the goal scorer here. Can can he score another goal to get our New York Islanders up and into uh, the second might. round? He might. It's the second of the series. Well, with this series being tied 2-2, like I said, this one could go to seven. I think ultimately at the end of the day, if you're the Islanders, just help. Because it's Ilya Sorokin who has been getting the starts in this series. He's a rookie, and he has played extremely well facing up against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He deserves all the credit in the world. Just help this kid out defensively. Like you were talking about the, the 2-1 lead for the Pens right now. This is the more worrying part for me. Jari of the Pittsburgh Penguins, their goalie, has only faced 14 shots to this moment. Unless it, it gets updated for me at this point, uh, Sorokin has faced 34 shots, right? That huge shot discrepancy needs to be righted by the Islanders for the rest of this series. You can't have him constantly facing these tw- uh, a 20-shot disadvantage for Sorokin. Because at some point, here's the thing. We've spoken about teams doing well. The Pittsburgh Penguins are going to have that game offensively where they just absolutely go off. They only had one game this series where they scored four goals or more, right? Now, in game one, they put up the three goals, but the Islanders got the victory going to overtime. But game three, the Penguins put up five. And while the Islanders put up four, that was just a classic example of the Islanders. They're not going to beat you on a game-by-game basis with offense. They're going to do it defensively. They're going to grind you down, wear you down. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they, they're going to have that one game where they put up offense. What, what happens in that game? And for the Penguins, that was big that they got that game. And the, the Islanders cannot keep doing this where they alternate in between playing like a great team and then playing like an average team. This is what happened at the 
last month or so of the regular season, that's why I was very down on them going into the playoffs because I ex- expected this to happen. And right now at this very moment, the offense is not pulling through for their young rookie. You cannot put – I don't care if he allows five goals in game six. With how good Sorokin has been, has been this series, if he allows five goals, you put up six for the kid because he deserves that kind of performance from the offense that he's just not been getting. It is absolutely ridiculous – that the Islanders, and it's not to say the Pens don't deserve to have the lead. That's not what I'm saying at all. But just like a Barry Trotz team who we've known to be very great defensively, take advantage of the mistakes, aside from two games, and again, that game one, kind of similar to the Panthers, I think the Islanders should be blessed the fact that they won that game one. Because if it wasn't for Tristan Jari, who let up the two so- uh, some soft goals, this could be a 3-1 lead right now for the Penguins, and they'd be playing with house money. So I think if you're uh, the Islanders, just support your goalie on both ends of the ice, help limit the shots that he's facing, uh, help offensively a little bit more, try to match up with the pens at least one more time, a goal for goal in this series, and maybe you'll get away with it. But even if they do, I don't think this Islanders team can beat Boston. It, with how the Bruins have been looking, I have zero faith at this current juncture in time that the Islanders could beat the Bruins in round two. I really don't see it happening. It's got to be something with the orange and blue jerk. You got, it's always, the defense is great, but we're getting no offense. That you got right. Sorokin here, where he's just blocking everything except four goals. You got Jacob DeGrom here, where he'll let one run in, but we just can't get a run for the guy. And you got the Knicks, where they're blocking. They're playing amazing defense. They just can't put the ball in that. It's the orange and blue. It's a curse to New York. We need to change it. We need new jerseys. But irregardless, I can't wait to see. Hopefully, the Islanders do come back in this game, and we are able to see a game seven. Hopefully, but up until then, Jerg, I think that's about it for we got playoffs. We got that's it for baseball. What else do we got to tell the people today, Jerg? We return this week after a one week hiatus. Yes, a Ohio themed week of our how to be a fanatic segment, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry, we missed doing this last week too. We're glad to bring it back and we're going to bring it to you straight away. No time wasted. We just finished talking about the playoffs. Well, let me continue with some hockey talk here as I'm going to go over the one, the only, the Columbus Blue Jackets, James. So five reasons why people should be a fan of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Number one right now, current consistency for the organization. While they missed the playoffs this year, ultimately five of the last seven seasons, they have made the postseason, including for the first time in franchise history, uh, winning their first ever postseason series back in 2019 where they defeated the President's Trophy-winning Tampa Bay Lightning in a sweep. That was the series that made a lot of people think the Tampa Bay Lightning were going to do something and blow it up. Yes, the Columbus Blue Jackets could kind of be responsible for the Tampa Bay Lightning finally having a fire under them last season and winning the Cup. So there you go, Columbus. You may not have won the Cup, but you helped someone else inadvertently, kind of. Uh, Number two, going back to reasons why it's for the Blue Jackets. This is a team full of uh, hard workers and overachievers. The Columbus Blue Jackets in the last six, seven, eight years, they haven't had a lot of high caliber draft picks, right? Especially when you make the playoffs as constantly as they have, you're not going to get those you know, third overall, fifth overall, seventh, uh, fourth overall, seventh overall type picks, right? You're going to get, you know, 17, 18, 19. And then the same goes with your other, your second and your third rounders, more middle. They have a lot of very strong, you know, talented players on this team. I think of wingers such as Oliver Bjorkstrand and Cam Atkinson, who would become good goal scorers for them. I think of Jenner, who became a really good uh, player on this team in recent years. I think defensively, uh, Ruinski for them on the blue line has become such a good player. Even though they actually acquired this guy in a trade, they easily won the trade with getting this kid. Seth Jones on the blue line has been absolutely great for them. Like This is just overall an organization with some good pieces on the team that have guys that they take nothing for granted. This is that kind of hardworking blue-collar team that we talk about, James, in certain organizations. And this is that organization. If you're looking for that blue collar team where these guys come to play every single night and put in their best effort, that is the Columbus blue jackets. And so speaking of that from number two to number three, organizational stability, I think for a team like the blue jackets, while they haven't had a lot of playoff success, one thing you have to give them credit in the world for is the fact that relatively speaking for the last half decade or so there, it has been consistent in terms of how the organization has done with leadership. And I think, James, we've kind of alluded to with other teams, you need to have those good, strong organizations that stay consistent. Now, admittedly, they did release their coach a couple weeks back in John Tortorella. But that's not a sign that they're bad. That's a sign that perhaps it's time for a change for the team and for the organization, right? But 
even with the releasing of John Tortorella, you still have a, a guy who's become a pretty good GM in the eyes of many, Yarmo Kekalainen. He's held that job since February of 2013, James. it's We're slowly approaching a decade for him running that team. For a guy, if you're able to keep your job for that long, that means you have to be doing something right. And I think for this upcoming draft that he's going to have, he gets three first-round picks to play around with, James. He's going to get a chance to bolster the, the stocks in terms of prospects. I think if you're the Blue Jackets, you can think whatever you want, but in recent years with some of the trades that he has made, with helping them, he made the trades necessary to get them their first-ever playoff series victory in franchise history. You know, this, this Blue Jackets team has some potential here. Now, speaking of potential, one of the reasons that they ultimately had to get rid of John Tortorella was for the young players. There are some very talented young players on this team that I think could be really good for the uh, for the Jackets going forward. Like I mentioned, there's Seb Jones and Ruwinski when it comes to the blue line for this squad. But then you have to take a look at things, right? And it's the forward core that I'm really interested in. Uh, you have Patrick Laine and Max Domi, who are two young wingers. Uh, Domi's a little bit older. He's 26, but he's put up good seasons before. And I think he he could have a chance in Columbus. He just needs the right kind of coach. And I don't think Tortorella was his kind. And speaking of needing the right kind of coach, Patrick Laine is a absolute generational type goal scorer in terms of finishing. Like he can score with the best of them. There was, after his rookie season, James, this kid was being talked about in terms of uh, potentially challenging Ovechkin one day for being one of the top goal scorers in the league. You don't, you don't just lose that talent overnight, right? He still has that ability. He still has that potential. He just needs to... It just something needs to click for him. It didn't end well in Winnipeg. I think in Columbus with a different coach, if they find that guy, James, if they find that guy to get the best out of him, they're going to do well. And they also have a couple good uh, 21-year-olds on this team with guys like uh, uh, Alexander Texier and Be- uh, Emil ben- Bemstrom, who, you know, again, these two kids, 21 and uh, both are 21. There's some potential there for Columbus. So I think if you're the Blue Jackets, you have some young guys to look forward to. And then at the end of the day, fifth reason, I just think it's really cool. The Columbus Blue Jackets themselves, the name was selected way back when, when the franchise was coming into the league, uh, to pay homage for Ohio's contributions in uh, U.S. history and great pride in the patriotism exhibited by uh, citizens and civilians. So when you're talking about being close to your team, the name literally comes from what Ohio has contributed in the country. Uh, especially of the city of Columbus as well. So and that's just a really cool, fun fact right there as, as to why you should do it. Well, the water cooler talk, those don't exist anymore, but I'll pretend they will for the sake of this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that those are some reasons why you should be a Blue Jackets fan right there. Really a working class kind of team, man. And we're working class guys, James. We, we could respect it. We could understand it. Cleveland, Ohio. Not, well, I'm in Cleveland, but Ohio is a blue collar state. You just feel it, you know? Exactly. I, I landed here. I was wearing my North Face. I don't know where it changed to a Carhartt like that. I don't know what happened. <laughs> happened the moment I came. But I'm going to give you guys five reasons to be a fanatic for the Cleveland baseball team. I told Jerg like last week when we made this list. There is that. I'm trying my best here, guys. I'm sorry. I personally <laughs> wouldn't recommend this team. But we got a segment, so let's do it. Number one reason is Jose Ramirez, he is the one, the only good player you add ah, to say he's the one only good player is an exaggeration, but he is the best everyday player that Cleveland Indians have. He is one of the best third basemen in the league. He actually was uh, finished second in MVP voting last year. This year, he's not batting too high. He's batting 259, 12 home runs, 26 RBIs, but he always has, he's always been kind of a slow starter. So I expect those numbers go way up right after uh, the all-star break. The number two reason is I feel like it's almost every single bad team I've mentioned for you guys to be a fanatic. It's I'm going to name one everyday player who's just a star. So I got to name one everyday pitcher who's a star, and that's Mr. Shane Bieber. He had the record for most 13 strikeout games in a season consecutively until a Mr. Jacob DeBron came and ruined that streak for him. Regardless, he is the former Cy Young winner of this year. And he's just, he's all around a great pitcher. Like this guy is just, he's, there is zero wrong with him. He is exactly what you want. He's, there's never controversy with him. I'm trying to think of, besides the fact that his name is Bieber and people used to make fun of him before he became good. Like, oh, is that Justin Bieber's brother? Other than that, that's all he got really. So my number three reason is the one, the only, I was talking about the youth. We're going to talk about the oldness. We talked about Tony La Russa. I'm going to mention Terry Francona. He is 
a Hall of Famer, hands down. He is the manager of the Cleveland Indians, and he's also a two-time World Series champion. It's Unfortunately, it wasn't with Cleveland, but he did return to the series with Cleveland. And people forget, unfortunately, it was actually, I think, that was one of the best World Series I've ever seen when it was Cleveland versus oh, the Cubs. Yeah. That was it. That game seven. Oh, my God. Forget about it. You had a team who hadn't won the World Series in like 100 years versus a team who hadn't won it in like 68 years. How could you not watch that? And it that was, was just nearly that. that was nearly two centuries of disappointment coming at you in one game. Exactly. I mean, it all worked out for Cleveland at the end because LeBron won them a championship. I mean, it wasn't a World Series, but irregardless, Tony Francona is the number three reason why I say to be a Cleveland Indian fan. The number four reason, as you know, Jerg, I try bringing in fun facts or just randomness for every team. They are still currently called the Cleveland Indians. I've been trying to get that out of my uh dictionary my dialect because that name is going to change that's actually the number four reason why i say you should be a fan because that's just self-consciousness good for them but not only that but their rumor is they could be the cleveland guardians they could be the cleveland wolves sky's the limit and honestly a team guardians is a better name <laughs> that's what i'm saying that sounded tough right cleveland guardians and sky's limit is a team who has a new name when you're rebuilding like Cleveland is right now, that's honestly, it's some of the best things that could happen to you because it's almost like it's not new ownership, but it feels like new ownership. You know what I mean, Jerry? It's like yeah. it's like the broken down White Castle in your neighborhood. It looks grimy, but if they put a fresh coat of paint on it, I might stop by. You never right. know. And last but not least, speaking of White Castle, the fifth reason, I just figured this out today, guys. It was during my training today. My supervisor mentioned it. It was amazing. It is the craziest fact. I might move to Cleveland because of this fact. I last <laughs> week mentioned how Detroit, if it wasn't last week, it was two weeks ago, how Detroit has $6 beers. Cleveland, once a month, has, listen, guys, $1 hot dog night, and it gets okay. better, Jerk. Okay. $2 beers as well. And they On open the, the stadium. Night? On, on the, the same, same night. night, on the same night, and they open the stadium two hours early. So you go there, you dog up, you beer up, you act like your best Leonardo DiCaprio you can, and you go, I'm not leaving. <laughs> and that is why you should be a Cleveland fanatic. I'm booking a flight right now, James. We're going to watch Cleveland Indians game. Uh, I'm here all week, Jerk. Please come visit. <laughs> uh, but, hey, five reasons right there why you should be a fan of those two teams. And, hey. You know, even if it's not your cup of tea, maybe if one of your friends is, that's a little bit of insight why they're fans of either the Blue Jackets or the Cleveland baseball team. And ultimately, like we said, every single week on how to be a, on with our How to Be a Fanatic segment, we are here to tell you why you should be a fan of these teams and educate you on what just makes these teams as special and unique as they are, just like our podcast. But speaking of how special we are, sadly, it all has to come to an end. For this week, uh, another Monday night in the books. But as always, another successful Monday night here with my guy, James. James, help take us home, my man. Help, help. Let's let's put a bow on this. You guys already know the deal. Please, please, please. I got to keep begging. I'm going to have to start spam, mail, chain, text chain, whatever it is. I'm going to be like, if you don't send this to 10 of your friends, I wish you the worst luck for the next 20 years or something. I don't know what I got to do, Jerk. But I need all of you. Please follow us. Subscribe on YouTube. Write a review, write a comment, just listen for 40 seconds for all I care. Just please. And you know what? If we're not doing something right, guys, let us know. We take oh, yeah. the tough love. We want to do better for you guys. So please follow me on Bars Talks on Twitter. Follow Jer actually follow me on Instagram as well, Jerk. You nagged me enough. I did it. I did <laughs> yes. it for the people. I, I remade it. it. There is it. no pictures. I will post a picture. But regardless, follow me at Bars Talks, Twitter, Instagram. Follow my man, Jerk K40. Follow us, Bunts and Bruises Podcast. Other than that, guys, have a great week. We'll see you next week.